get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday, August 25th, 2023. We're listening to the Beijing Hour coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Chinese presidents had meetings with leaders from Iran, Congo, and several other countries on the sidelines of the BRICS summit in South Africa. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has turned himself in at a jail in Georgia to face racketeering and conspiracy charges. And the Russian presidents expressed condolences over the plane crash near Moscow on Wednesday. In business, China's latest report for small uh, latest report on small and medium-sized businesses. In sports, a dramatic finish at the World Athletics Championships. In culture and entertainment, Warner Brothers delays the release of its much-anticipated Dune sequel. Now the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping has met with his counterparts from Iran, the Republic of the Congo, Malawi, Tanzania, and Namibia on the sidelines of the BRICS summit. Zhang Dan has more. In his meeting with Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi, Xi Jinping congratulated Iran on its BRICS membership. He says China stands ready to strengthen cooperation with Iran on BRICS and other platforms and will push for healthy and robust development of multilateralism. Raisi expressed Iran's appreciation for China's support of the membership. He said it will provide fresh momentum for the development of bilateral relations and will also help better advance the global initiatives proposed by President Xi. Raisi also expressed gratitude for President Xi's important role in promoting dialogue and reconciliation between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Speaking to his Congolese counterpart Duni Sasu Ngesu, President Xi Jinping relayed China's firm support for the Republic of the Congo's effort to safeguard its national independence and oppose foreign interference. He said China is willing to push for more achievements in the comprehensive strategic partnership cooperation. Sasu Ngesu expressed gratitude for China's support and noted the importance of construction projects undertaken by Chinese enterprises for the country's continuous development. He hopes both sides will push for greater development of bilateral relations, as they mark 60 years of diplomatic ties next year. Meeting with Malawi President Lazarus Jaguera, Xi Jinping said China supports Malawi in exploring a development path suited to its national conditions, and China stands ready to offer help for the country's socioeconomic development. Xi Jinping said he appreciates Chagüera for upholding the One China principle since taking office. For his part, Chagüera noted the Belt and Road Initiative is important to the progress of developing countries and said Malawi is willing to continuously deepen friendship and cooperation with China. Speaking with his Tanzania counterpart, Samia Suluhu Hassan, Xi Jinping said stronger China-Africa cooperation is conducive to unity among developing countries. He said China-Tanzania cooperation has always been at the forefront of China-Africa cooperation. Xi Jinping also said China is willing to continuously work with Tanzania in supporting each other's core interests and major concerns while deepening strategic cooperation. Hassan said Tanzania appreciates China's valuable support and assistance to developing countries, and his country has benefited from the Belt and Road cooperation and other major initiatives proposed by President Xi.
In his meeting with Namibian President Hahe Gengab, President Xi said China stands ready to strengthen cooperation in various fields, including clean energy, and will encourage Chinese enterprises to invest in the country. Xi also expressed appreciation for the president's firm support for China's position on issues of core interests. Gengab hailed the long-term friendship between the two countries. He said Namibia is grateful for China's support in fighting for its national independence and emancipation, as well as national development. And Namibia welcomes Chinese enterprises to invest and cooperate in Namibia. That was Zheng Dan on the Chinese president's meetings with world leaders on the sidelines of the BRICS summit. Chinese President Xi Jinping also spoke with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi on the sidelines of the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. According to China's foreign ministry, the two leaders had a candid and in-depth exchange of views on the current China-India relations and other questions of shared interest. President Xi stressed that improving China-India relations serves the common interests of the two countries and peoples and is also conducive to peace, stability, and development of the world and the region. He said the two sides should bear in mind the overall interests of bilateral relations and handle border issues in, uh, to jointly safeguard peace and tranquility in the region. BRICS invited a number of African leaders to participate as observers at the 15th BRICS summit as the bloc promotes multilateral cooperation. Chinese President Xi Jinping said no country should be left behind in the process of global modernization. Julie Shire reports from Johannesburg. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa reflected on Indonesia's Bandung conference as he welcomed dozens of nations to the BRICS Africa outreach and BRICS Plus dialogue. That vision is finally coming to life decades later led by the BRICS nations. We recall the Bandung Conference of 1955 when Asian and African nations demanded a greater voice for the developing countries in world affairs. The conference called for the recognition of the equality of all nations, both large and small. It is the right of Africa and the entire global south to fully re-app the benefits of global trade and investment. Without trade and investment, our economies cannot thrive and our people's material conditions cannot improve. The move has been applauded by African countries left vulnerable by the triple challenges of COVID-19, conflict and climate change which has hampered the continent's 2030 sustainable development targets. China has meanwhile proposed a global development fund to get development goals back on track. It was a historic and fruitful day as many nations expressed their support of enhanced Global South cooperation. President Ramaphosa reiterated that by mobilizing resources, working together and sharing skills, it will give renewed impetus to global growth and sustainable development. That was Julie Shire reporting in South Africa. The Chinese presidents called on China and Africa to work together towards modernization. Xi Jinping delivered the message in a keynote speech at the China-Africa Leaders Dialogue on Thursday in Johannesburg following the BRICS summit. President Xi reviewed cooperation with Africa over the past decade, and he said China's pursuing its national rejuvenation, while Africa is making efforts to build a new Africa that enjoys peace, unity, prosperity, and strength. He called on the two sides to work together to create a sound environment for realizing their respective development visions. The Chinese president also said China and Africa should work together to build an open and inclusive world economy. In the meantime, the president proposed three initiatives to further promote China-Africa cooperation and help with the continent's modernization process. 
Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates will become BRICS new members. The bloc made the announcement on Thursday at the 15th BRICS Summit in Johannesburg. The leaders of the existing member nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, made a joint media statement and delivered individual speeches. Joe Willits has details. Six new members have joined BRICS. The historical declaration was announced by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa at a press conference during the Johannesburg summit. We have decided to invite the Argentine Republic, the Arab Republic of Egypt, the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates to become full members of BRICS, the membership will take effect from the 1st of January 2024. Alongside existing members, BRICS now has a total of 11 member countries. Chinese President Xi Jinping has congratulated the new members and said BRICS expansion is historic and a new starting point for BRICS cooperation. This membership expansion is historic. It reflects the resolution of the BRICS countries to unite and cooperate with other developing countries. It meets the expectation of the international community and serves the common interests of emerging markets and developing countries. The expansion is also a new starting point of BRICS cooperation. It will inject fresh vitality into the BRICS cooperation mechanism and further strengthen the forces for world peace and development. During the summit, Brazilian President Lula da Silva said the organization would remain open to new members and said the interest of other countries to join validated the organization's pursuit of a new world economic order. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi said the nation fully supports membership expansion and would continue building consensus for other countries wishing to join BRICS. Russian President Vladimir Putin delivered his remarks virtually. He thanked President Ramaphosa for handling the summit and his efforts to expand the alliance. During the BRICS Plus dialogue with United Nations officials and African leaders in attendance, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa said a second phase of membership expansion would follow and welcomed other countries to join BRICS. That was Joe Willits reporting. Coming up, former U.S. President Donald Trump's latest criminal charges. As the most recent addition to the BRICS grouping 13 years ago, South Africa is leading a new round of expansion involving more emerging economies. How has South Africa benefited from this partnership, and why are more countries interested in joining BRICS? Listen to Deep Dive this week and explore the answers. Available on all major podcast platforms, just search for Deep Dive. We're at 11 minutes past the hour. Donald Trump has turned himself in at a jail in Georgia to face racketeering and conspiracy charges. The former U.S. president's accused of colluding with 18 co-defendants to try and overturn his 2020 election loss in the state. This is his fourth criminal indictment while seeking re-election to the White House. Trump maintains that the 13 felony charges he faces are politically motivated. Philip Crowther reports in Atlanta. 
Atlanta already leaves us with something historic, maybe one of the most famous photos or infamous ones in recent U.S. history. We'll have to see how it goes down in U.S. history, but a mugshot of a former U.S. president of Donald Trump has been released. It shows him angry, scowling, with a furrowed brow. The picture of Donald Trump having been taken inside the Fulton County Jail here in Atlanta just a short while ago. As you said, he is now on his way back to New Jersey after spending a very short time inside of that jail, just over 20 minutes when he was arrested, then booked. That meant that he gave his details, his name, his weight, his, his height uh, as well, and w then uh, was released again thereafter after posting the necessary uh, bond of $200,000. Uh, and during that time, that mugshot was also taken, now released by the sheriff's office here in Fulton County. Uh, Donald Trump uh, now on his way back uh, to New Jersey, but before departing, he spoke to the press who were traveling with him from New Jersey to Atlanta. Here is some of what Donald Trump said there on the tarmac here in Atlanta. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election. And I should have every right to do that. The former president there using essentially the same phrases that got him to this place in the first place. The kind of uh, phrases like saying that this was a rigged and stolen election that of course led to uh, him being in trouble uh, here in Atlanta but also in Washington DC in the federal case. The arraignments are supposed to be happening the week of the uh, 5th of September. We don't know yet whether Donald Trump will have to be here in person for that. What's different in this case to the others, the other three criminal cases that he is now a defendant in, is that here he had to be booked in jail first, and that was not connected to an arraignment that will happen at a later date. So Donald Trump will be coming back here not just that one time, he will be coming back here many, many times because, of course, there will be a trial in the future. We don't know yet uh, when that will happen in October at the very earliest. Very unlikely, though, uh, that a case like this one, a complex case like this one, can advance that quickly. More mugshots, by the way, to be released because there are more of Donald Trump's 18 co-defendants who still have to uh, be booked at the same jail where Donald Trump appeared uh, earlier today. They are all supposed to be tried together, uh, says the district attorney here in Fulton County, and as quickly as possible, uh, she says as well. The future then for Donald Trump looks very difficult uh, because he will have to defend himself with his team of lawyers in four cases altogether, all the while, of course, running for president on the Republican ticket. He is, of course, by a very uh, long stretch, the favorite to get that nomination. That was Philip Crowther on former U.S. President Donald Trump's latest criminal indictment. Uh, the co county of Maui has sued power company Hawaiian Electric for negligence following one of the deadliest fires in U.S. history. The county authority accused the power supplier of failing to shut down its equipment despite warnings that hurricane winds could knock power lines down. You know, it said downed power lines started with or started the wildfires that destroyed the historic town of Lahaina, killing at least 115 people and displacing hundreds more. China's urged Japan to rescind its incorrect decision to dump nuclear wastewater into the Pacific. Former, or rather, Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin says China does not want August 24th to be a disaster for the marine environment. 
The Japanese government failed to prove the legitimacy and legality of the decision to discharge the water into the sea, the long-term reliability of the clean-up for contaminated water, and the authenticity and accuracy of the data on the contaminated water. It failed to prove that the discharge is safe and harmless to the marine environment and people's health, and that the monitoring plan is sound and effective. Japan also failed to have several consultations with other stakeholders. Japan's unilateral initiation of discharging nuclear-contaminated water into the sea blatantly shifts the risk of nuclear pollution to the entire world. This is a wrongdoing that is extremely selfish and highly irresponsible. All stakeholders have the right and responsibility to take necessary preventative measures to safeguard marine environmental safety, ensure food security and protect public health. The spokesperson also warned that Japan must bear historical responsibility for its actions. Japan started releasing nuclear-contaminated water from its uh, tsunami-damaged Fukushima nuclear power plant into the ocean, despite strong protests at home and abroad. In the meantime, China's announced an immediate blanket ban on all aquatic products from Japan. Uh, Jack Barton has details from Fukushima. The International Atomic Energy Agency has really been distancing itself from the Japanese political decision all along. So even when Rafael Grossi was here back in July, he was always going at pains to say they were just signing off on it scientifically, saying from their scientific perspective uh, it would be safe. But that's not to say this would be the recommended way of disposing of the water uh, from the UN's view. So. You know, that, that's a line the UN has been taken all along. We've finally had official statement from the Prime Minister responding uh, to China's ban, saying that he had uh, told officials to go through diplomatic channels to urge China to quickly withdraw the ban and to have discussions between experts uh, based on science. Uh, but also that statement from TEPCO's president saying that uh, that's the power company that runs the nuclear reactor that is being decommissioned. Uh, saying that you know he his company would also work closely with China, recognise that China was a major trading partner, and that you know discussions needed to urgently be held. But also saying that TEPCO would compensate anybody damaged by the ban, and there's a lot of money we're talking about here. Uh, even a rough tally puts it over the equivalent of a billion U.S. dollars, which is why the National Fisheries Organization here, the umbrella union that covers all the smaller unions, uh, has been really critical of the water release and has called on the foreign minister here to move very quickly to work with China to have this ban repealed, to take measures, whatever it takes to get that ban uh, lifted. And also, you know, still resistance amongst ordinary Japanese, but it has to be said the latest polls show a majority uh, still approving the discharge. Some saying from a philosophical angle, you know, it's, it's inevitable, so go along with it. But only 37% of Japanese people now really digging in uh, and opposing it, yet a very vocal 37%. We talked to one young Japanese person that said, well, at least seafood's gonna be a lot cheaper here in Japan from, uh, you know, for the time being. So trying to put a silver lining on a dark cloud. And that was Jack Barton reporting in Japan. 
A court in Guatemala has sentenced retired Colonel Juan Ovala Salazar to 20 years in prison for his role in the massacre of 25 indigenous people over four decades ago. He was in charge of the military operations amid the Rancho Bejuco massacre in 1982. 25 Mayachi people died, including 17 children. The court acquitted eight other former members of the Guatemalan military in civil defense. Representative Miguel Itzep of Organizations of Victims of the Civil War in Guatemala says all those involved in the massacre should be brought to justice. We want those responsible for the massacre of our brothers in Rancho Bejuco in Baja Verapaz to be sentenced by the judges. As we have always said, as long as there is no justice in Guatemala, peace cannot be built. Colonel Salazar will have 10 days from September the 5th to uh, appeal the sentence of the massacre happened amid the civil war that lasted 36 years. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, the Russian president expresses condolences over that plane crash near Moscow on Wednesday. The Gambia is classified as the 10th most vulnerable countries to the impacts of sea level rise. This week on Climate Watch, we explore how climate change is affecting the smallest country on the African continent, the Gambia. And we uncover the strategies the African nation is employing to forge a resilient path forward. Each move counts. Together, let's make a difference. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Russian President Vladimir Putin offered his condolences to the families of the victims of a plane crash on Wednesday. Wagner paramilitary group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin was one of those killed in the incident. Alyosha Malenkovich reports from St. Petersburg. From early in the morning, people came to pay respects to Wagner's head, Yevgeny Prigozhin. They are bringing flowers and lighting the candles. And from time to time, even applause breaks out. It is late in the evening, but people are still coming. In the meantime, it is still unknown what was the cause or causes of the fatal plane crash that, according to official records, took 10 lives. Evgeny Prigozhin and his right hand, Dmitry Utkin, were on the passengers' list. The name of the passenger are known, but there is still no official confirmation about the identities of the recovered victims' bodies. On Thursday, Russian President Vladimir Putin for the first time expressed his condolences to the victims' families. He gave his view of Yevgeny Prigozhin's life and achievements. He mentioned that Prigozhin did some great things, but also made some equally big mistakes. Also on Thursday, the Russian authorities named the official investigator in this case. It is Ivan Sibula who previously investigated the cases of several other high-profile plane crashes in Russia. That was Alyosha Malenkovich updating the plane crash that killed the Wagner Group leader in Russia. The United Nations has highlighted the severe humanitarian consequences of the conflict in Ukraine. On Thursday, the UN Security Council heard from a civil society campaigner and legal expert about the far-reaching re- repercussions of the conflict from human rights violations to the destruction of infrastructure. Sally Patterson has that story. The Security Council meeting coincided with Ukraine's Independence Day, marking its withdrawal from the Soviet Union in 1991. 
Since the conflict began last year, the United Nations Human Rights Office estimates around 9,500 people have been killed, including 545 children. Nearly 17,000 others have been injured, while more than 17 million people in Ukraine now require humanitarian assistance. But the consequences of the conflict are affecting many more people than just those on the ground. Rosemary DiCarlo, the UN's Undersecretary General for Political and Peacebuilding Affairs, noted the ongoing food security crisis. Since Russia's withdrawal from the Black Sea Initiative on 17 July, the fighting has only escalated. We are witnessing growing tensions and threats to the freedom of navigation in the Black Sea. Brutal and relentless Russian attacks have damaged grain export infrastructure in Ukraine's Black Sea and Danube ports, imperiling the export of foodstuffs desperately needed around the world. UN leaders have warned of the far-reaching consequences that such attacks could have in some of the world's poorest nations, who rely on Ukrainian wheat for survival. China called on relevant parties to avoid attacking civilians and civilian facilities. The ambassador also warned of the danger of targeting nuclear power plants, saying there is no winner in a nuclear war. And that was Sally Patterson reporting in New York. Tropical Storm Franklin is moving north after slamming the Dominican Republic with heavy rainfall. It's caused heavy flooding, mudslides and at least one death. Nitsa Soledad Perez has more. Forecasters said parts of the Dominican Republic would see up to 40 centimeters of rain as Tropical Storm Franklin lashed the Caribbean nation Wednesday. The storm pounded the country with winds over 80 kilometers per hour. Hundreds of thousands of homes are without power and drinkable water this Thursday. The storm displaced around 350 people, according to emergency personnel. Residents of the capital, Santo Domingo, were assessing the damage and waiting for the waters to recede. The Dominican Republic and the islands of Turks and Caicos lifted their tropical storm warnings Thursday. The U.S. National Hurricane Center says it expects Franklin to gather strength as it moves up the Atlantic this weekend, likely becoming a hurricane by Sunday and approaching Bermuda as early as Monday. And that was Nitsa Soledad Perez reporting. Brazil is contending with high temperatures and dry weather, uh, even though the summer, uh, southern hemisphere is still in winter. The National Meteorological Institute says 19 out of the 26 states are facing a heat wave or low humidity. The most critical regions are Bahia and uh, Piauí, uh, where the air humidity dropped below 20 percent. Uh, the area is being classified as high danger as low humidity poses threats to human health and increased is the risk of forest fires. Many people have flocked to Ipanema Beach to enjoy themselves. It does worry me that it's too hot, over the top. But if I tell you that I don't like it, I'd be lying. I like the summer. I like this out-of-season sun. Four state capitals have reported the highest temperatures of the year, including Cuiaba, where the temperatures reached nearly 42 degrees Celsius. Uh, populous cities such as Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo are also suffering from extreme heat. Renata Libanati with the Rio de Janeiro Federal University says people may continue to see heat waves and dry weather during wintertime in the southern hemisphere. The last eight years were the hottest recorded, and this trend tends to keep going. What we can expect is that these events to be more frequent, and we are already living in this new normal. Authorities have recommended that people avoid engaging in physical activities and stay indoors during the hottest times of the day. 
Hundreds of Israeli women have gathered in B'nai Brak to rally in support of gender equality. Their protests came following the government's efforts to overhaul the judiciary. There have been growing concerns that the government plans to weaken the Supreme Court and also blunt the power of authorities to secure gender rights and the equality for Israeli women. A chief of staff, Hadas Ragolsky, of an Israeli women's group, says the government's trying to harm women's rights. They're trying to separate us. They're trying to, to take us apart. They're trying to, to set us back in the buses. They're trying to, to separate us in the public arena. And we, we're here to say no more. You are doing everything that you can to hurt us, and we're not going to let you do that. There have been reportedly uh, incidents of women in Israel being criticized for what some conservative people deem to be immodest dress. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Checking the forecast before the break in Beijing is at 21 degrees overnight. It's overcast in 27 on Saturday. Chongqing has heavy rainfall in 24 this evening, then moderate rainfall in 30. Lhasa has a light rain in 10 overnight, then more light rain in 20 degrees. Hong Kong dips to 28 this evening. It's cloudy in 32 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 26 degrees overnight, thunderstorms in 34 on Saturday. Islamabad's 23 this evening, then thunderstorms in 33. Bangkok's at 27 overnight overnight thunderstorms in 33 on saturday in africa nairobi's getting showers in 27 degrees celsius it's time for a short break so far this hour the chinese presidents had meetings with leaders from iran congo and several other countries on the sidelines of the BRICS summit in south africa former u.s president donald trump has turned himself in at a jail in georgia to face racketeering and conspiracy charges and the russian presidents expressed condolences over the plane crash near moscow on wednesday Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum with you on this Friday. Still to come, in business, China's latest report for small and medium-sized businesses. In sports, a dramatic finish at the World Athletics Championships. In culture and entertainment, Warner Brothers delays the release of its much-anticipated Dune sequel. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com 
or follow our X account, that's formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, though, uh, check out the day's headlines, and here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese president has called on China and Africa to work together towards modernization. Xi Jinping delivered the message in a keynote speech at the China-Africa Leaders Dialogue on Thursday in Johannesburg following the BRICS summit. President Xi reviewed cooperation with Africa over the past decade. He said China is pursuing its national rejuvenation, while Africa is making efforts to build a new Africa that enjoys peace, unity, prosperity, and strength. He called on the two sides to work together to create a sound environment for realizing their respective development visions. The Chinese president also said China and Africa should work together to build an open and inclusive world economy. Meanwhile, the president proposed three initiatives to further promote China-Africa cooperation and help with the continent's modernization process. Chinese President Xi Jinping spoke with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi on the sidelines of the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. According to China's foreign ministry, the two leaders had a candid and in-depth exchange of views on the current China-India relations and other questions of shared interest. President Xi stressed that improving China-India relations serves the common interests of the two countries and peoples and is also conducive to peace, stability and development of the world and the region. He said the two should bear in mind the overall interests of bilateral relations and handle the border issue to jointly safeguard peace and tranquility in the region. China has urged Japan to rescind its incorrect decision to dump nuclear wastewater into the Pacific. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbing says China does not want August 24 to be a disaster for the marine environment. The Japanese government failed to prove the legitimacy and legality of the decision to discharge the water into the sea, the long-term reliability of the cleanup for contaminated water, and the authenticity and accuracy of the data on the contaminated water. It failed to prove that the discharge is safe and harmless to the marine environment and people's health, and that the monitoring plan is sound and effective. Japan also failed to have several consultations with other stakeholders. Japan's unilateral initiation of discharging nuclear-contaminated water into the sea blatantly shifts the risk of nuclear pollution to the entire world. This is a wrongdoing that is extremely selfish and highly irresponsible. All stakeholders have the right and responsibility to take necessary preventative measures to safeguard marine environmental safety, ensure food security and protect public health. The spokesperson also warned that Japan must bear historical responsibility for its actions. Russian President Vladimir Putin has expressed his condolences to the family of Yevgeny Prigozhin after the Wagner mercenary chief's presumed death in a plane crash the day before. Putin praised him as a talented businessman, but noted that he made serious mistakes. Investigators are still trying to establish the cause of the crash that killed 10 people. The, in, uh, the incident occurred two months after Prigozhin led a mutiny against Russia's army leadership, an act of rebellion that Putin at the time condemned as a treacherous step in the back. Donald Trump has turned himself in at a jail in Georgia to face racketeering and conspiracy charges. The former U.S. president is accused of colluding with 18 co-defendants to try to overturn his 2020 election loss in the state. This is his fourth criminal indictment while seeking re-election to the White House. Trump maintains that the 13 felony charges he faces are politically motivated. 
The county of Maui had sued power company Hawaiian Electric for negligence following one of the deadliest fires in U.S. history. The county authority accused the power supplier of failing to shut down its equipment despite warnings that hurricane winds could knock power lines down. It said downed power lines started the wildfire that destroyed the historic historic town of Lahaina, killing killing at least 115 people and displacing hundreds more. The U.S. Department of Defense says the country will begin training Ukrainian pilots on F-16 fighter jets in September. The training will take place at U.S. Air Force bases in two southern states. Currently, European countries are leading the effort to train Ukrainian pilots on F-16s and other advanced fighters made by Western countries. A court in Guatemala has sentenced retired Colonel Juan Ovalle Salazar to 20 years in prison for his role in the massacre of 25 indigenous people over four decades ago. He was in charge of the military operations amid the Rancho Pejuco massacre in 1982. 25 Maya Achi people died, including 17 children. The court acquitted eight other former members of the Guatemalan military and civil defense. Representative Miguel Isep of Organizations of Victims of the Civil War in Guatemala says all those involved in the massacre should be brought to justice. We want those responsible for the massacre of our brothers in Rancho Bejuco in Baja Verapaz to be sentenced by the judges. As we have always said, as long as there is no justice in Guatemala, peace cannot be built. Juan Ovala Salazar will have 10 days from September the 5th to appeal the sentence. The massacre happened amid a civil war that lasted 36 years. Local officials say the Panama Canal will continue restrictions on daily vessel transit and maximum draft for at least 10 more months amid a prolonged drought that has lowered the water level. The Canal Authority began imposing the restrictions earlier this year, causing a backlog of vessels waiting to pass. The curbs have forced vessels owners to lighten cargoes or shift uh, the, the alternate routes as freight costs increase for some routes. Officials say the extension of the restrictions will give the canal room for preserving water before the next rainy season arrives, but it could create a larger bottleneck of ships if if they do not reserve ahead of passage. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu reporting. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, and coming up in business, China's latest report for small and medium-sized businesses. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China China. and the rest of the world. world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment, in-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 38 minutes past the hour, turning to business, and Chinese markets closed lower on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Chinese mobile markets were back in decline with the uh, Shanghai Composite Index closing six-tenths of one percent lower, down 1.6 percent for the week and uh, landing at its lowest level in eight months. We did see environment-related stocks notable gainers in Shanghai and Shenzhen after the discharge of water from the Fukushima nuclear plant in Japan. 
Uh, investors are betting uh, that these stocks are going to benefit from worries about radioactivity in the water entering the environment, uh, despite uh, assurances uh, from international bodies and the Japanese government. And we saw some panic buying of salt in some Chinese cities, including here in Shanghai, uh, with calls from the country's top salt producer for people to take it easy and buy rationally. Uh, most of the top gainers were water treatment companies, uh, Wave Cyber Shanghai, uh, Green Tech Environmental and Heilongjiang Interchina Water Treatment uh, were among the top gainers and there were several others as well in the top 10. But uh, those gains were offset by heavy losses uh, for consumer and tech shares. Uh, AI shares also uh, plunged after their gains. We saw a Ching Cloud Technologies and Inspur uh, both shedding between 95 and 10%. And that was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down 1.4%. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped over 2%. China's Ministry of Finance has called for efforts to fully implement fiscal and tax policies to support small and medium-sized enterprises and boost their high-quality development. The ministry stressed the implementation of tax and fee reduction policies to alleviate tax burdens on the small and micro-enterprises. It also stressed coordinating fiscal and financial policies to ensure the financing demand of SMEs. Supportive policies are also on the agenda, such as government procurement and stabilizing uh, employment. Chinese Transport Ministry says the transportation economy is sustaining a recovery trend during the summer holidays. It's also actively extending support to regions across the country affected by recent flooding. Yo Yang reports. It's been a robust summer for China's transport sector. According to the Chinese Transport Ministry, the growth rates of freight volume rebounded this July and the flow of personnel continued to increase due to the summer vacation. The ministry also noted that the port's cargo throughput has sustained growth and transportation investment is operating at a high level. In July, the operational freight volume was 4.74 billion tonnes, reflecting a year-on-year increase of 7.1%, which accelerated by 2.8 percentage points compared to June. During the same period, the number of commercial passenger trips reached 910 million, a year-on-year increase of 47%. The national urban passenger trips hit 8.21 billion, a year-on-year increase of 14.7%. Meanwhile, the ministry has also been working to mitigate the effects of flooding and heavy rainfall. Reports note damaged roads and bridges not only in the capital Beijing, but also in Tianjin, Hebei, as well as various areas within the northeastern region. The ministry says it has collaborated with relevant departments to fully repair and restore over 3,000 roadblocks and highways within these areas. At the beginning of this week, the Ministry of Transport and the Ministry of Finance jointly allocated 135 million yuan for emergency use. This year, a total of 237 million yuan has been earmarked to support 15 provinces in implementing road flood prevention and emergency repair work. China's Transport Ministry says for its next step, it will continue to support the local governments in disaster relief work, flood prevention and post-disaster reconstruction. This is especially important as heavy rainstorms continue to be observed all across the country. That was Yao Yang reporting from Beijing. 
Nearly 1,700 exhibitors from more than 40 countries are expected to attend the 20th China ASEAN Expo that will take place next month in South China. Uh, the expo is slated to open in September in Nanning. The construction of the version 3.0 China ASEAN Free Trade Area, which was launched in November last year, will be under the spotlight at the upcoming event. Cities in China are stepping up efforts to improve services for seniors. In the southern city of Guangzhou, where 18% of the population is over the age of 60, the local government's coordinating a mix of services targeting the home, community, and public institutions at the China International Silver Industry Exhibition. Huang Fei reports. With a few strokes of an ink brush, Chen Fudong creates peony blossoms in a classic Chinese painting. Chen has been refining her craft through community workshops since retiring in 2007. The 71-year-old says art has kept her busy and helps her feel inspired. Both of my sons are in the police force, so they are very busy. Without the community, my husband and I would just be two lonely people at home. Through the Open University, we've learned to paint, write, dance, sing, and play Tai Chi. It's made us very happy. The Open University of Guangzhou has been running a new weekly course in community centers across Yueshou District, home to one of the city's biggest populations of elderly people. Education is a very important part of the care for elderly people, and we're delivering it near people's homes. Since July, we've given 16 lectures. About 700 people have participated in the classrooms, and more than 470,000 have joined via live streams. It's all part of a new program called Elderly Express, which provides a mix of care services ranging from family doctors and classes to food, all within a 15-minute radius. In China, elderly care is often described as a 9073. 90% of people are cared for by family, 7% rely on community care, and only 3% live in a nursing home. Neighborhood programs like these create a safe and convenient environment for senior citizens, helping to reduce the pressure on family care and at the same time preventing loneliness and other health issues. Besides canteens for seniors, we also provide elderly daycare centers, personal guides, in-home care and nursing beds, among other services. We want to make sure the elderly receive good care on their doorsteps. By 2030, the proportion of elderly Chinese in need of care is expected to reach 30% of the population. Public nursing homes currently suffer from long waiting lists, while private facilities are often too expensive for many. To address the issue, analysts say the government needs to establish closer links between hospitals, communities and households. That was Huang Fei reporting from Guangzhou. A Guizhou province in China has promoted digital upgrades in more than 10,000 enterprises to build a, a big data hub. The Big Data Development Administration in the province says the number of local companies that embrace digitalization has risen to over 10,000 since 2018 when the corporate digitalization drive began. The administration says Guizhou will continue to settle uh, uh, computing resources channeled from China's eastern regions and build a computing base for the nation. The province will use digitalization in areas such as government operations and urban management.
Uh, Shenzhen has handled over 500 China-Europe freight train trips since the service was launched in the southern Chinese city in August of 2020. Shenzhen Customs says the freight train services have handled over 360,000 tons of export goods with a value of over 10 billion yuan, or roughly 1.5 billion U.S. dollars. Since its opening three years ago, the service has covered 41 countries, including Germany, France, and Belarus, transporting cargo from more than 4,000 enterprises. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming up in sports. A dramatic finish at the World Athletics Championships. The Asian Games in Hangzhou are just 30 days away. The event promises to be a spectacular showcasing of the best of the best competitors from around the Asian continent. We should see some amazing performances from those participating, and Hangzhou will provide a unique experience for all, including spectators. Join us this week on Sideline Story as we take a look at what to expect at the Games, as well as which teams and athletes have the best shot at success. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with athletics news and Olympic champion Multiadis Tentoglu of Greece was involved in yet another last round drama as he won long jump gold at the World Championships with his final leap of 8.52 metres. The leap edged him ahead of Jamaica's Wayne Pinnock by 2 centimetres. Tentoglu enjoyed the battle that took place. Yes, for sure. It makes it special because it was an amazing fight. It was very close all the time with the Jamaican guy. He jumped 8.50, he jumps 8.50, he jumps 8.40, he jumps 8.39, so it was an amazing battle, I think. Tentoglu is no stranger to such things, having won Olympic gold with his final jump in Tokyo after being beaten out of the medals after five rounds. Antonio Watson won a thrilling World Championship 400-meter gold as the 21-year-old Jamaican overtook fading British athlete Matthew Hudson-Smith on the line. Hudson-Smith, who set a European record in winning his heat this week, went out hard and was well clear coming off the final bend. But that effort took its toll as he began to tie up, allowing Watson to drive through. Fellow Jamaican Danielle Williams raced to world gold in the women's 100-meter hurdle once again, winning by the narrowest margin eight years after her first triumph, the 30-year-old edged Olympic champion Jams- Jasmine Camacho Quinn by one hundredth of a second. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the Games. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we review the second edition of the Asian Games which was hosted in the Philippines. Chiju has more on that event. The Philippine capital Manila held the second Asian Games in 1954. It's also the first Asian Games featuring a theme song ever onward. 970 athletes from 19 countries and regions competed in the event. That was twice the number of participants from the inaugural Asian Games in New Delhi. Three sports, shooting, boxing and wrestling, made their Asian Games debut in Manila. Chinese Taipei's Yang Chuanquan displayed a stunning performance, winning the men's decathlon title as a substitute on the team. He won by a big margin and dispatched the defending champion of the event. Chinese Taipei also took the gold medal in men's football. Japanese swimmer Keiji Hase broke the world record in a men's 100-meter backstroke with a time of 1 minute 7.1 seconds. Once again, Japan topped the medal table with 38 gold medals. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Xiju. World basketball governing body FIBA has inducted Yao Ming into its Hall of Fame along with 11 other individuals in an enshrinement ceremony in Manila. 
Yao, current president of the Chinese Basketball Association, was selected number one overall by the Houston Rockets in the 2002 NBA draft. The eight-time NBA All-Star retired in 2011 and the Rockets retired his number 11 jersey. Yao also led China to win three titles at the FIBA Asia Cup. The Los Angeles Lakers have announced plans to unveil a statue of the late Kobe Bryant on February 8, 2024. The date is significant as it includes both of his retired jersey numbers, 8 and 24, with the Lakers. Bryant played his entire 20-year NBA career with the Lakers. The five-time NBA champion was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2020. Bryant and his daughter Gianna died in a helicopter crash that year. Milwaukee Bucks star Giannis Antetokounmpo says he does not plan to sign a contract extension when he becomes eligible next month. He added that he won't sign one until he's comfortable knowing the organization will continue to compete for an NBA championship. The Bucks can offer Antetokounmpo a three-year, 173 million US dollar extension beginning September 22nd. However, Antetokounmpo aligned the factors, outlined rather the factors that will go into his decision making before he signs his next deal. He wants his team to be on the same page as him in terms of rebuilding the squad. In football news, Al Itihad are reportedly prepared to go all out to try and sign Mo Salah from Liverpool. The Egyptian forward has been one of the Saudi Pro League's top targets this summer and they are still interested in him. The final decision will rest with Liverpool who do not want to sell the forward but Salah is open to listening to what would be on offer. The FIFA Disciplinary Committee has officially opened disciplinary proceedings against President of the Spanish FA, Luis Rubiales. In a statement, FIFA reiterated its unwavering commitment to respecting the integrity of all individuals and strongly condemns any behaviour to the contrary. The proceedings were initiated due to Rubiales kissing Spain forward Jenny Hermoso on the lips during the medal ceremony, following the team's 1-0 FIFA Women's World Cup final win against England. And finally, in golf, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa and Keegan Bradley hold a share of the lead after a remarkable opening round at the Tour Championship. Morikawa fired nine birdies in a stunning blemish-free 61 to set the clubhouse target at East Lake. Bradley carded a bogey-free 63 and last week's BMW Championship winner Hovland made a 2-under 68 to also get to 10-under. The trio hold a one-shot advantage over FedEx Cup leader and world number one Scotty Scheffler, who led by five at one stage before losing ground with three putts. All right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, Warner Brothers delays the release of its much-anticipated Dune sequel. China's economy has encountered some setbacks. The recovery of some key sectors have fallen short of market expectations. As the property market is experiencing a prolonged depression, some people are looking to a swan song for the world's second largest economy. Is the Chinese economy really crashing? What needs to be done to solidify the country's growth? Get the answers to these questions and more on this week's Chat Lounge on all major podcast platforms and CGTN Radio. We're about 53 past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. The Warner Bros. movie studio will delay the planned November release of its big-budget Dune sequel until March because its stars cannot promote the movie during the Hollywood actors' strike. The revenge. 
The decision deals a blow to American cinema chains, which are still trying to recover from the COVID pandemic. Dune was one of the most anticipated films on the late 2023 schedule. Dune Part Two will now debut on March the 15th, a date that had been reserved for Warner Bros. movie. Uh, Godzilla X Kong: The New Empire. The monster movie was shifted to April. As a result, an animated Lord of the Rings film that had been set for April was moved to December. The education authorities in Saudi Arabia have reportedly instructed all public and private secondary schools to teach two Chinese language classes each week. Saudi education experts believe that it will have significant implications for students to experience diverse cultures. It also shows increasing communication and cooperation in the field of education. The Saudi Gazette reported that the fourth period of every Sunday and Monday shall be assigned for teaching Chinese. A unique ballet school nestled in the heart of Joinville, Brazil, has nurtured gifted dancers with backgrounds often marked by adversity and economic challenges. Paulo Cabral spoke with the passionate young students and their dedicated teachers. I come from Rio de Janeiro, from the complex of Alemão Islam. It was a very tough reality I lived in. 12-year-old Jennifer is one of 240 students enrolled in the Bolshoi Theatre Ballet School in Brazil and the southern city of Joinville, 700 kilometers away from the favela where she was born and raised. I believe it was not I who chose the ballet. It was the ballet that chose me. So if it is something I want, and I have it very clearly in my mind that I want it, it's something I have to chase. Securing acceptance in the school for eight years of top-notch training and free education is highly competitive. For every student accepted, about 90 others are not. Brazil's Bolshoi is the only official branch of the prestigious school outside Russia. The school's director says the majority of students enrolled come from poorer families from the region or other parts of Brazil. I mainly think we give a rare opportunity that for the children of families that have no financial conditions to receive quality education from Brazilian and Russian masters. We don't want to be a clone of the Bolshoi school in Russia. We value Brazilian culture and we use everything Brazil has to offer to create something new for the future. The Bolshoi Theatre School has a global reputation for teaching some of the best dancers in the world. And teachers and students here say what the school offers goes much beyond ballet instruction. People changed their minds when they saw that my dream was something real. It's a career. It's not a hobby or a joke. So, people started to admire my resolve and my evolution. Because regardless of the violence and of the physical and verbal abuse I suffered, I still wanted to dance. Today, the Bolshoi Theatre Students' Company is rehearsing for a special performance of the ballet Cinderella. It's a joyful time, crowning the efforts of these young Brazilian dancers, their teachers and the Bolshoi Project in Brazil. That was Paulo Cabral on the ballet school in Brazil.
And finally, archaeologists in eastern China have discovered a new Neolithic site covering more than 80,000 square meters. The site, called the Chaoyanggang Ruins, is in Xinhua, Jiangsu Province. A large number of relics have been discovered, mainly in pottery and bone pieces. The bone pieces include interesting ancient gadgets such as bone hairpins, needles, and whistles. The find also includes a tool that experts say was used to make fires. Thank you very much. And that was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour. Uh, Beijing down to 21 degrees overnight. Saturday's overcast in 27. Chongqing has heavy rainfall in 24 this evening. Moderate rainfall Saturday, the highs 30. It lasts uh, down to 10 degrees overnight. A light rainfall. Uh, tomorrow, the rain continues 20 degrees for a high. Hong Kong's 28 this evening. It's cloudy tomorrow in 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 26 overnight. It'll get thunderstorms in 34 on Saturday. Islamabad's 23 this evening, then thunderstorms in 33. Bangkok's at 27 overnight, then thunderstorms in 33 on Saturday. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Uh, making news today, the Chinese presidents had meetings with leaders from Iran, Congo, and several other countries on the sidelines of the BRICS summit in South Africa. And the Russian presidents expressed condolences over the plane crash near Moscow. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.